You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your home, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Jeanne-Marie Penel, for your first interview episode. And today I am thrilled to be starting this series of conversations with experts from around the world with my dear friend and colleague, Simone Davies. Simone is the author of The Montessori Toddler, Planting the Seeds to Grow a Curious and Responsible Human Being. And she is a dear friend and colleague. We've worked on several projects together, one of which is the Montessori Show on uh, YouTube. It's a show that we've have running for several years now, answering questions and such. So this is just another uh, way to have a conversation with Simone, uh, whose advice and just perspective on toddlers especially is very valuable. And I think that you will enjoy this interview because she works with toddlers every day and runs by running a parent-child class in Amsterdam. And uh, Simone and I go way back where we, I think, initially just connected over the internet, whether it was Instagram or Facebook, we followed each other's work. And when I traveled to Amsterdam for the uh, Association Montessori International Annual uh, meeting, I connected with her. We had a lovely lunch and have been uh, great friends ever since then. And uh, so today we are discussing just you know, in general, a little bit about Montessori, but most importantly, I asked her to kind of dive deeper into a post that she recently wrote about 10 ways we can show respect to our child. And this, um, just 10 lovely ways. We only got through to the first four ones. Uh, so we, I will have to have her back to, to continue on this conversation. So please enjoy my conversation with Simone Davey today. All righty, Simone, welcome to the Art of Parenting podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here as a guest, and I would like to take some time to ask you a few questions so that our listeners can get to know you better. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a delight to be on your podcast. Very exciting. It is very exciting. This has been a, a, a dream in the making, and it's finally a reality. So I'm very happy to have you here as one of our first experts to launch the podcast, and then we will have many more. So it's wonderful to have you. Thank you. 
So first, I'd love to ask, how would you define the art of parenting? I think this is such a challenging question, to be honest, um, because how do you sum up like what we're doing with our children for like these years and you never stop becoming a parent? Um, but as a Montessori teacher, I think what comes back to me always is like being the child's guide. So in a Montessori approach, we're always looking at um, where the child's at, accepting them for who they are and then giving them enough support so they an attachment so they feel very grounded and have a very secure base. And then it's also then with a lot of space to explore and make discoveries for themselves and become their own person and experience the highs and lows with us there as their support and guide. So for me, it's a bit like that um, phrase, giving them roots and wings. It's really, to me, the Montessori approach is like the roots is that strong attachment at the beginning when we have symbiosis with the baby, for example, where we take time to get to know our newborn. And then um, we step back a little bit and let them explore their body and take the time to explore their hands and make discoveries like their feet. And then their world will get bigger and bigger. And we're always there as their support, just giving them as much help as they need, um, not too much help so that they can make the discoveries for themselves. And I feel like now that my children are now teenagers, it's also that fine balance with being this rock, always being at home and being around when they need an ear, but giving them the space to go out and explore and be with their social groups and other things like that as well. Wonderful. So the, the art is really being kind of the, the, what would you say, the blank canvas that the, the child and you kind of create your masterpiece together. Sounds <laughs> there beautiful. There you go if you want to use an art yeah, analogy. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. So Simone, before we get too involved in our conversation, um, I would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself and how you came to do the work that you do today with parents and children. Yeah, so I think of myself first most as a parent of two lovely teenagers now, and then I also run a parent-child Montessori playgroup um, at Jacaranda Tree Montessori here in Amsterdam. And I also do blogging on the side where I like to just share things about Montessori and then wrote a book about um, toddlers because that's the age of kids that I really adore working with. And I didn't realize I was going to even become a teacher, a Montessori teacher, didn't even know what that was. Um, I studied and was in the corporate world. And then when you have your own children, you realize, oh, actually, um, you walk into a Montessori classroom, you see how beautiful it is and how respectful they are to children and you fall in love. And before you know it, you're doing your Montessori training and moving across to the other side of the world. I'm originally from Australia. And then, yeah, 15 years later, um, I just can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing than working with parents and their lovely toddlers every day. Wow. And how long has it been that you've had these play groups in Amsterdam? Um, I started over 10 years ago now. So Wonderful. Wonderful. And I know you've started training others who want to do play groups, which I think is just wonderful because I know you're a great inspiration for many. So that's wonderful. Yeah, that was super fun to run a boot camp so that people could set up their own all around the world. Because I really think one thing that I missed when I worked in a classroom where there weren't parents is that we can only reach so far with the work we do in the classroom. And when the parents can also be on board and they can apply those principles 24-7, then you see the children really thrive and they become very independent 
very confident. Um, the parents are on board with the ideas of freedom within limits. They know how to set a limit and it's easier also in the classroom as well. And even for those people who don't go on to Montessori school, they can also still benefit from the approach because it's such a respectful way to parent your child. Wonderful. And you've mentioned Montessori quite a few times, and I know that we have uh, listeners that might not know what that means. Could you take just a, a minute or two to, in a nutshell, tell us when you, when you use that term, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so everyone knows what a traditional educational approach is like, where the teacher stands at the front of the classroom and everyone sits in rows and we all learn the same thing at the same time. Um, and that's a very top-down educational approach. And the Montessori approach is the other way around. It's where we're looking at each individual child with their own individual way of learning on their own timeline, um, which sounds like chaos. Is like, how can a teacher possibly meet everybody's individual needs? But you have this beautifully prepared classroom with materials laid out in a rich curriculum. And basically they start with one activity and that scaffolds onto the next activity in all the different learning areas. And the teacher can then give a lesson where each child's up to. And older children and can help younger children because you have a mixed age group um, with like three to six-year-olds in one class, um, six to nine-year-olds and nine to 12-year-olds. And the child then becomes an engaged learner. They don't just learn because they're going to pass the test. In fact, they learn because they're so curious and they want to master things and discover things for themselves. That sounds perfect as, as well as it should be an education for everybody that way. Right. That's what I discovered when I discovered Montessori. It's like, why, why aren't all children being taught this way? <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about how you were raised and what kind of, of uh, mothering and parenting do you remember from your own parents? Yeah, so I had a very um, loving family, uh, but the way that we were disciplined for want of a better word was that like here's the wooden spoon if you do that again or like being threatened that we'd be grounded so that it's like house arrest or you know that you're not allowed to go out of the house if you're naughty as you get older um we didn't have timeouts at that point but it's more like punishment and bribes you know like rewards if you do well at school um and i guess when i had my own kids i thought oh i don't want to bribe my kids to get cooperation I don't want to threaten them. What else is there? So then all of a sudden you discover Montessori because you're like, oh, this is a really respectful way where the children have some freedom, but they also have limits and you set them with a kind in a kind way. So I felt like I was learning a new language um, as I was parenting my children, discovering like a more respectful way. Yes, and it, it seems like I always say that our own parenting. I mean, like we say, there's no manuals or instruction, you know, manual for our children. The only thing we have is our own childhood, our own experience. And sometimes we just look at that and take the pros and the cons and then reinvent something new for the next generation. Yeah, they're getting wiser and better parenting, hopefully, as they go, as we go along through the generations. Hopefully, that's right. So, um, so I know that you recently wrote a wonderful piece on your blog that I wanted to maybe share a few snippets from that. And it was, if I remember correctly, uh, the 10 ways to show respect to children. Yeah. Oh, I had so much fun writing yeah. this. Uh, 
Yeah, and I know I know a lot of parents really responded uh, positively. So we have a bit of time in front of us, and I would love if you could just walk us through some of them. We might not get through all ten, but let's see what the next um, maybe twenty minutes can do. And then if we don't get through them, then I will have to have you back so we can finish up the the rest of them. So. Please share with our listeners those 10 ways that we can, as the adults guiding them, be respectful. So I always think of soft hands when I think of working with young children. I work with toddlers, so that's usually from 16 months to three years, but I also work with young babies and older children. And I think it's really worth thinking about soft hands. So how do you show respect for your child? Well, if I kind of get you dressed and I'm pulling you really hard and getting your arm into your jumper and not telling you what I'm doing, I'm not really showing you respect. So it starts even from when they're a baby, you say, I'm going to put your jacket on now and just pausing. And sometimes you see even the smallest baby, like try and lift up their little arm or raise their head. Um, And then we can say, I'm going to use my soft hands to lift you up. And I often say to myself, I'm going to use my soft hands because that also reminds me. So we can also use soft hands when you need to leave the playground and you have a toddler who doesn't want to leave the playground and you might have to like lift them up, you know, in your soft arms and just embrace them and say, I can see that this is difficult for you and I'm going to help you, you know, and that's just so different than this fighting, you know, they might be wiggling around in your arms like crazy, but you are being soft and calm and centered. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I really like the fact that you're also reminding yourself to use it because I know that sometimes when we are in the throes of a situation and we might be kind of boiling over and not so calm (laughs) uh, that, um, you know, it might not be that easy to use those soft hands or to feel that calm that we want to give the child. So I love the fact that you're also kind of telling yourself, (laughs) calm, you know, soft hands, take a deep breath and and handle this situation with respect Mm -hmm, in those soft hands. Beautiful. So then after the soft hands, I think of listening to the child because they live in an adult world and everything goes on bigger, faster than them. And so when we can really stop and listen, again, it can start from birth. When a baby makes a little gurgling sound, you can stop and say, oh, what did you want to tell me? Um, We can even maybe make that gurgling sound back to them. So it's not a googa googa, which is like baby talk, but it's really like, oh, this is a conversation. Uh, So when we um, really listen to them, we're looking not just hearing, but we're also looking at their features and what their facial expression is telling us, what their body language is telling us. So I like to like use all my senses to listen. Does that make sense? Even though you think of it as hearing sense, it's actually a whole body experience when I'm really actively listening to a child. That does make sense, but how would you um, do that when you are when the child is in that pre-verbal stage and they're they're really trying to tell us something, yet we we just don't necessarily understand what that is. Like, how do you? How does that look so, for you in that yeah, preferable for stage? For a young child that's babbling, so an eight, nine-month-old who, you know, it sounds like they're telling a story in those early years just before they turn one where their intonation's going up and down. I might say something like, oh, really? 
Um, it feels a little bit fake, but, you know, try and keep it authentic. Like, I'm interested in what you're saying. Um, looking at if there's any needs that are being met. They're crying. Oh, what are you trying to tell me? And just those lang- that language can be used from birth, which I think we think, oh, they're so young, they don't understand. But they're taking in everything. And particularly, they're absorbing how we react and respond to them and that we want to hear what they have to say. Um, allowing time. So, like, actually pausing, stopping, and then saying, that back then once they start saying some single words you know we can repeat back what you said if they say ball you say oh you saw the ball so then they really feel heard as well um then you start having conversations because they might say um ball throw and you say do you want to throw the ball um so it's always just assisting them and where they're up to without starting taking over the whole conversation uh so it's really a it is a dialogue always with a, a toddler instead of always top down because I think we're so used to teaching and we're so used to telling and this is just oh actually I'm going to listen to you first right and and for me I know I tell some parents that when we are in that preverbal stage and we don't necessarily understand it's really letting them know I I don't quite understand what you're trying to tell me can you show me or can you take me to it or, or, or such because yeah, that definitely. will help them also like you, yeah, like you say, you know, that they, because one of the, one of the elements for language to develop is the desire to communicate. And if we are there responding, I think that desire definitely Yeah, I love grows. show me and then they just take your little hand and they drag you over and they start pointing and you work at that from there. Yes, yes. And so what is another um, tool that you have to well, show respect? Well, this is one that I really have been practicing for the last uh, 18 years since my children were born, which is using kind words, um, even in those difficult moments when you need to set a limit. So um, I guess I grew up in a household where you either were spoken to in a lot of directives or with an angry voice and that I didn't really know how to express an assertive limit with my children. So I've been really been practicing. I found the book, how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk like a great manual when I was young, like when I was a young mother trying to work it out. And I actually photocopied some of the summaries at the end of the chapters and was like, Oh, this is what I always say. And this is what I'm going to say instead. And so I practiced and even though it was an authentic voice for me, I then started seeing, ah, this is how you first empathize with a child before you jump in with all the solutions. You know, you really listen and you hear them and you seek to understand them and take their perspective. Um, so that was a big part. Um, using kind words, it's is just so respectful for me. I just can't explain it any other way except um, that that's how I would want to be spoken to. Yeah. So what? So um, and I, I and I'm I'm just being the, a bit of the devil's advocate because I can hear <laughs> voices of our listeners saying, "Oh yes, that sounds great," but um, you know, let's say that you have a child who is maybe you're, you're, you're at the playground and it's time to go and they run away from you because they really do not want to go home. How would you, how would that sound or what would that yeah, so look I like to you? I always try to respond first with empathy. It looks like you really want to stay in the park, right? And so I'm first seeing things from their perspective because if we just say it's time to go home and we go to get dinner ready and we just start that kind of like a very long explanation of why we need to leave the park, and sometimes I'm like, oh, it looks like you really want to stay at the park. They, they go, oh, okay. And I was like, hmm, and I'm really wanting to get home to start cooking the dinner. 
yeah, this is really tricky. How are we going to solve the problem? Maybe we could find one last thing to, to play on. What should we choose? Would you like to do the swing or the slide? And so maybe I just start with a choice, something as kind as that. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes it might be like that I'm giving them a five-minute warning before I leave. Um, and then, again, like what would be the last thing you'd like to play on before we're going to leave the playground? So often it's not actually even just waiting to the point where they're running away in the park, but it's preventing it before they leave, like helping build the skills, working with them. How are we going to leave the park in a graceful manner? And then sometimes they really are running away. And then you're like, would you like to come with me on the bike or would you like me to help you? Okay, it looks like I'm going to help you this time. Again, I'm using my soft hands and they're kicking and screaming and you're pushing my body. Yeah, you don't like it. So I might do some of the sports casting, um, explaining that they're really not enjoying it. And But I'm using kindness. I'm saying you really want to stay at the park and, I'm, you know, we're leaving now. That's how I would set a kind and clear limit with this child. Where they still feel supported, but they don't Wonderful. feel like I'm Wonderful. angry at them, but they know that I'm also clear. Because sometimes we're wishy-washy, like we're leaving the park, and we try and keep encouraging them, but actually they don't really know if we're leaving the park or not because actually I'm getting another minute at the park or another two minutes. <laughs> you know, it's not clear. Right, right. The, the consistency and the clear is very important. And I know also using those kind words is just telling the story ahead of time, like when on our way to the park about maybe what the way that you're going to ask, you know, when it's time to leave so that they are kind of already know ahead of time mm, yeah, what that's practicing. going to look like also. That's, yeah, yeah. Um so I think we have time for one more, and then I will just have to have you back to maybe finish up the rest, because these are really wonderful, and I think are very helpful to parents listening, and especially those that have little ones at home or are working uh, with little ones. So let's take time for one more of your tools. So one that's really important to me is accepting each child for who they are. And I think sometimes when we raise children, we think that, um, you know, this is our opportunity to right all our wrongs. Like I didn't go to university, so I want my child to go to university or I wanted them to be on the first team of the rugby because I was on the first team of the rugby. So we have these hopes and dreams for them, but we forget that each child is on the planet to fulfill their own purpose. And we're actually just there, as I go back to my very beginning point, as the guide, you know, to just see how we can get the best out of this child in the world and that I, they know that they're supported and loved um, and we'll make those discoveries. So I feel like acceptance of who they are is really important. So when we say things like, how can I make my child less shy? Or how can I get my child to stop running? You know, they always jump around and they're so loud and they're always the noisiest in the class. And then I think, okay, this is actually your child. And instead of like, how can I make them less quiet? It's like, how can I nurture this spirit in a way that's going to be okay for all of us? Because maybe they are too loud for you, but now I'm going to find it's, it comes from a different place. It comes from how we're going to work with our child as a, and accept them as opposed to I need you to fit into society's box that's very small and make sure that you're always quiet. Does that make sense? Oh, it sure does. And, and I love that. And it, it's interesting because just yesterday I was um, at a restaurant and I met up with some friends who had a two-year-old with them, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And the dad was telling me about how 
when they go out, you know, she's going to the two year old is going to go off exploring. And, and um, they were they were at this other restaurant that was a wooden deck, and she was kind of jumping on the different pieces of wood and, you know, really exploring. And he kept on wanting to have her come and sit down and stop. And he was actually stopped by an elderly man who said, please leave her alone. We are enjoying watching her explore. So even, you know, even in our own mindset, sometimes we feel like our children need to fit in a certain uh, way when we're when we're out and about. And so I think this is not only accepting your child for who they are, but just also accepting what they need to do when we're out and about. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Mm. Um, really, a big part of that is also observing who they are. So in our Montessori training, we practice scientific observation, you know, being objective observers of our child as opposed to being subjective. And I think that that can also really help because we keep seeing, oh, what's my child like now? Now they're after a nap. Now what are they like now? <laughs> you know, they've just had some food. What are they like now? And they just keep changing. And so you just keep seeing them as who you can see them for who they are with fresh eyes every day, every hour, every minute, that kind of thing. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. And it goes back to the beautiful masterpiece, right, that they're creating. So that's wonderful. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so um, before we we kind of wrap up, and, and like I said, I will have you back so that we can go through the rest of these wonderful, um, respectful tools. But I would love for you to kind of share with the listeners maybe one key takeaway that you want our listeners to remember today? Well, one thing that I find really important is taking the perspective of your child, particularly toddlers, because where they've got such a bad reputation is giving us a hard time. But actually, when we just think, you know, why would my toddler be doing this right now? Like, why did they push that other child as opposed to he shouldn't push? Um, then you can say, oh, it looks like actually he was playing with that and the other child wanted it too. I'm going to help them with their words, you know, so you can step in and support them, give them tools that they need to get through some of the social situations or the skill they're mastering. Um, when you take their perspective as opposed to thinking from the they should know better because even as teenager have you ever thought that Jean-Marie they should know better even teenagers their prefrontal cortex is still developing and so I really find it important to take someone else's perspective um, take your child's perspective and then you can see how you can find ways to work with them or if you, you it also means sometimes stepping in to set a limit to keep everyone safe. Yes. And, and I love that you say they should know better because I actually uh, talk about that, about working with parents, because we we often think parents should know better. But no, why should they know better? They're just starting on their parenting journey as well. So that's that's beautiful. It's It makes total sense. Um, so tell us a little bit how the audience, our listeners can learn more about you and your work and just uh, stay in touch with you. How can we get in touch with you? The best way to find me is on my website, which is themontessorinotebook.com. And there you can find um, all my links to social media. I'm mostly hanging out on Instagram these days and um, any of the online courses that I run or to the book, The Montessori Toddler. All righty. And I will have all of those links in the show notes for everybody. So Simone, it has been a true pleasure to have you on. And I'm so glad you were able to share some of these reflectable tools. And we will definitely have you back to be able to share more. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jean-Marie. It's a delight as always to chat to you. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. 
And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.